0: Devin and Morgana have been celebrating midlife love by getting married a hundred times in a hundred countries. They believe grown-up love gets better and more fun, especially for women. Everyone's smarter, wiser, men are more relationship ready, and if they're not, it's obvious. Forget anything you were told about being too old or too late for love and adventure. Instead, get fresh new tips on dating, relating, and travel to exotic destinations. And best of all, call in for personal guidance, creating crazy, sexy, midlife love in your life.
1: Calling me walking jazz hands.
2: Well, but you are walking jazz hands. <laughs> you are.
1: What does that mean to I the don't casual observer? You're the, the one who
2: Okay, so the casual observer to the person. So first off, just to be clear, I'm writing a book and my wife has this habit of like pressing her ear to a glass to a wall over here, my writer's group. And so I said, I was describing my wife in a paragraph and I said, she's walking jazz hands because she's somebody who's like ready to go. She's ready to, what, oh, to perform right now. Great. And she's up and snapping her fingers and shaking, shaking her stuff and all that. And she's doing that thing. And so my point was, uh, in that story is that you are very enthusiastic and you're very open and you're very upfront where I frequently describe myself as somebody who just assume we gray and walk against a gray wall to blend in flat so you don't know that I was there.
1: And the irony is you're the extrovert and I'm the reckless. Who never wants to leave the house?
2: Right. Well, but this is that's a whole. But well, when you leave, you're a paradox. bright,
1: shining beacon of gray.
2: I uh, well, that's right. Well, I, <laughs> what I've found is is people who are also gray tones, and they are my. I fit in with those people. Listen, you're wearing. I'm not sure you could have found for those. I don't know. Folks are probably listening on podcasts and things like that. But there's also human beings. That you know are watching this live, this, this video, video, yeah, right. And if you can find this video, I dare you to find a more red, red, <laughs> the most red shirt. Like we're both wearing red, but mine is like a gray red. It's a, a red that you could, in fact, blend into a gray wall. Where my wife is wearing a red that's like like my eyes are almost on fire <laughs> from even looking at it. It's Screaming like almost like, it's yeah. like it's like actually glowing. <laughs> It's a red that's like my
1: radiance, my love.
2: Well, it is your radiance, but it it, the shirt helps. I'm just saying.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm I'm so so glad that you're able to pick me out of the crowd on this,
2: right? No, you how could I not?
1: (laughs) How could I not?
2: How could anybody? Uh, So, okay, that's said,
1: all joking aside. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about confrontation.
2: Oh, and maybe, maybe the people watching and listening to this have just experienced one. <laughs> <The> <laughs> this is a the very friendly
1: one. We <laughs> banter is, a lot.
2: We do banter. Um, that is part but of our thing.
1: Honestly, so I, I picked our coming guests because I find difficult conversations feel like death to me. I have paid people... Huge amounts of money to like coach me or to build pages on my website that they never did. They just flat out didn't do. And I was too uncomfortable to insist on, by the way, this is, we're talking not present day, although it's still a challenge. But years ago, I like paid somebody $750 to do a single web page for me, just an opt in, and she refused to do it. And I didn't even ask for a refund. I mean, oh, I i know, like I, I cringe looking at that. I'm aware. And uh, it, it takes such Herculean effort on my part to ask for things to be fixed, uh, to, to, you know, say, oh, this doesn't work. And, and to have that scary conversation, it, I don't even really know why it's so challenging for me to have confrontational conversations. And, and when my husband says the words, frank exchange of ideas, I want to scream and run into an igloo thousands of miles away and protect myself because that is that is his code language for an argument, which I find scary and painful and difficult. And what happens when women like me avoid The you know, just bringing the stuff up when it happens is like it just builds and builds and builds and builds until we blow up into what I like to call a rage monster because, like, the outrage of allowing things to build up for so long overwhelms my immediate fear. The problem is when I and I know other women not all women, but, a, you know, a lot of women I know do this, then, then we have, then we have to clean up the mess afterwards, if, if we can clean up the mess. So the idea is to get more comfortable having these conversations. Women are not trained for this. We, we get, we get punished uh, for behaviors that, that are encouraged with guys, my husband and I can argue about this. Uh,
2: yeah, no, we would. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> But I found somebody recently who is an expert in confrontation. She is, she calls herself the confrontationalist or a confrontation expert and teaches uh, people, by people I mean primarily women, how to have these difficult conversations that bring up fear. And that's that's when she talks about confrontation, it's having a conversation that that brings up fear. And the goal of it is for you to get what you want instead of what you think you can get. Oh, I love that. I love that. So anyone who can teach me how to have like better, scary conversations and make them productive. Well, I want to hear from her. And hey, if it helps you too, all the better. So I'm about to introduce Danielle Gibson, the confrontationalist. Welcome, Danielle. I am so excited to have you here. My husband is really good at what he calls frank exchanges of ideas, arguments. And I, God, um, like, I hire people and pay them tons of money and I, and I still don't want to, like, tell them that their work was bad <laughs> or I need it fixed, you know? I'm just... Uh, and I, 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 is that a gender thing in general?
3: It is highly female, but I do have clients who are male and, and have a hard time because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. And I'm like, we don't know that that's going to hurt people's feelings necessarily. You know, it's, it's really about, it's generally, um, conditioned behavior. So depending on how you were raised, there are things you should, I'm going to use air quotes a lot. You should, and shouldn't say, depending on who told you that, right. In the same way as a coach, as you know, there's only good and bad if we say it's good or bad, right? Like good and bad is an opinion. It's subjective. So there, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish for example, and we, and Jews talk about money, you know, and, and, but there are a lot of, of, of households and I don't know if it's just a cultural thing, but where they don't talk about money, one of them is not wrong. And one of them is not right. Right. So long answer, very, very strongly female, but
1: not only. Mm. So I should back up a little bit and ask you a little about you so okay. that our audience gets to know you. Yeah. How did you take on this field of focusing on confrontation? Yeah, it was.
3: Uh, so I've been coaching uh, for about six years. Um, well, let me just back up and say, I've always been a direct person. And, you know, there's a line that I wrote in my, in my uh, website that I, I was like, oh my God, I really like this line. Um, it was hard being a direct person in an indirect world Ooh. because I've always been direct and I've both been rewarded and also pushed, I gotten pushback and it was all very confusing to me. And also people thought I was funny. They would thank me for asking questions at the end of a Like if it's a workshop and I'd be like. I didn't understand, right? Because I just kind of said things and filtered, not like, you know, it's not like I give you my opinion unsolicited or anything, but I always kind of had a lot of that already in me, but I also knew there were things I didn't say and I didn't know why, and I didn't know what those things were. So cut to coaching the people, what would come up over and over and over again was, I'm not good at confrontation. I'm bad. of. I'm scared of confrontation. And I'd be like, and I looked it up, the definition. And I'm like, I don't think it means what everybody's, like, I don't get it. And if you look up the actual definition of confrontation, one of the definitions, depending on where you go, is conflict, a version of conflict. And I'm like, this isn't even the definition of, it's not really what confrontation is. And so I started to explore, what does it mean to be confrontational? And what does it mean when you're not? What happens in you physically? What happens in you, what, what, you know, energetically. And, and I, and, and as a coach, you know, coaching, everyone's a coach, right? And I was like, I gotta make up a word. And so I got, I need to use, I wanted, I looked online, nobody was using confrontation as a niche at all. And I now know why it's because everyone's so scared of the word that they don't even want to talk about it. And, uh, (laughs) so I basically created the confrontationalist, which is not a word. It is now. It is now it's my URL and I misspell it all the time. And, um, and so I, what, what ended up happening that made me able to do this at all was that, let's just say that 15% of me that wasn't comfortable yet with total confrontation, and by the way, I still got a few percentage points that I got to work on, is that I stopped caring or thinking about what was going to come back at me when I said it, right? So for example, this is a very woman thing. They don't know how to, a lot of women don't know how to say no when they want to. And, and if you do say no, it'll go something like this. I'm so sorry, I can't. I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this. You're justifying yourself, right? And uh, no is actually a complete sentence and nobody cares why. You never go, yes, and here's why I'm saying yes. You never do that. So, so it's really about, as, as I write in my, on my website, un- you have to become unoffendable truly. And so it's like, if, if you say to me, if I say to you, do do you, do you like this? You know, I'm wearing a a new dress. Do you, do you like my dress? And you were like, no. Okay. That's your opinion. Right. Doesn't change the fact that I like the dress. Right. So I can't care. And I don't mean care as in like, like, I just mean, can't be concerned with it. So cut to this, it's 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 pervasive. It's everywhere. And it people will get divorced or break up rather than have difficult conversations. And then why is a conversation difficult? What goes into
1: that? So so it's very layered. Well, I, I want to posit the whole I can't because um, I work with clients and have for many decades on relationship with money. And one of the easiest ways to say no is to say, I can't afford it. Right. But every time you say, I can't afford it, you're blaming money and you're making money. The bad guy. Exactly. Even if you believe you can't afford it, just saying that every time you say, I can't, it really disempowers you because it's, it's not choosing. Right. To say, uh, no, it's not a priority for me at this time is, is just a lot more powerful, but we're afraid. Maybe I think you, you said of hurting people's feelings. I think that that has been a huge piece for me. Uh, I think that in some instances we're afraid of like retribution, violence, you know, there are are all the stories of the woman who says no to the guy at the bar and then gets attacked. Uh, so I, I think there, there's also a fear of, of saying no can be dangerous. 100%. The reasons for,
3: for our fear of saying no are based on either experiences that we did have or messages we got.
1: Mm-hmm. They
3: don't just come out of the blue at all. This is completely conditional behavior. It's conditioned without, without a doubt. And... You know, with regard to the money thing, at at its core, if you think about it, the thing that needs to be confronted is you. Right. So if I if I say no to you based on money, but the reality is it said I'm not ready to do the work, I have to confront that. I have to know that, right? And I have to be okay with not being ready, also.
1: Or And this is where not hurting feelings is like, you are not the program for me at this time. Exactly. But I don't want to say that to you because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, or I don't want you to argue with me about it, you know? Right. And, and what's, and so what you're really doing is
3: you're creating a a story. I don't know that you're going to be, I have no idea if you're going to care, right? Like it's, I don't know, like how, wouldn't it be refreshing? And I get that word a lot, by the way, that I'm refreshing because I'm, I'm candid. Um, It feels, think about it. Like, like, I don't know what situations are with you when you, when you, when you don't, when you, when you don't think you, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be nicer to hear that than knowing full well that the money thing isn't actually the problem? Wouldn't it feel energetic? The exchange of that energy would be truth, reception of truth, not, oh my God, I know it's not about the money. And then, you know, it's like, it's just, there's a lot of drama, internal drama, internal energetically that goes on when there is a, uh, a disconnect of, of what is actually real. And everyone always goes to the money. It's an, you know, it's, a, it's, it's always about money. And we, we both know that when you really want to do something, you figure it out, right? So for me specifically, when I worked in corporate America that doesn't seem to value authenticity and honesty, and I do, every time I wasn't that, I felt like I died a little bit inside because it wasn't aligned with my values. And so I might have an extreme reaction or I'm just more in touch with it. But, but the thing is, is that making up excuses and justifying yourself and all of those things are really just not taking ownership of you being, you you're you need to be okay, right? And if you're not okay with, with it, if you're concerned about why are you concerned? Why do you think you're hurting someone's feelings? Maybe they'll like getting constructive feedback. Maybe, you know, you can have a really honest conversation if you go, this is really hard for me, but you know, I really would love to, to tell you how I'm feeling about this. Like that's one of the things I tell people to do when they don't know what to say say that. I'm not think- sure how to have this conversation. Uh, Please bear
1: with me while I try and figure it out. What do you, Devin, if you received that, how would that land on you?
2: That would be fine. I mean, so, you know, my thing, I'm actually fine with having conversations. I think um, I'm happy to have a difficult conversation. I may not have the answer or the answer that you're going to like, but I'm happy to have that conversation. I think the biggest issue for me is I'm very like I read like if you were to come over our home, I have books on every religion and every philosophy. I'm a book obsessive compulsive nerd. And so I love this stuff. So that means I want to talk about abortion. And I'm not saying I have an answer, but I want to have the dialogue. And so what I find is perhaps the reverse is that I want to have the conversation but quite frequently, and this is maybe I think about confrontation sort of turned on its side to some degree, is that i 'm discovering that there's lots of conversations i can 't have, not because of my willingness, but because the person receiving it is like, "Well, this conversation triggers me and i don't even i don 't even know what to do with that because it 's basically saying the mere subject matter is something that we can 't discuss and it's sort of I, I think it 's something that 's happening on, on much more of a political level right now sure and i don't think there's anything to do but what it means is is that if we can't have the dialogue i can't i can't learn anything about a myself or the circumstance or the situation because the subject matter has now been deemed so controversial that somebody's going to have an emotional response that they can't that they can't handle and i'm certainly not looking to bring up or broach a subject that is that is upsetting. I'm not looking to upset somebody, but I think the, the idea that the unwillingness to have the conversation, because I don't have a problem with it. Maybe I'm just have a lack of empathy for somebody who is so emotionally attached to a particular topic, this but I don't is, know how to, I, I wouldn't know how to yeah. that, handle that.
1: That's I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause that's a really big thing. It's not an even playing field. When one of the people in the conversation it's a topic that is like an is an existential threat to one party of the conversation but not the other it's very easy to have an intellectual conversation about anything in the world when you're not directly affected when it doesn't pose a, a real Uh, impact on, on your life and your liberty and your safety and stuff like that, but it does somebody else. And that's when it can be really triggering for one party and the other party feels shut down and no conversation moves forward. How do you make it safe for both people to have these difficult, scary conversations? You can ask,
3: how can I make it safe to have this conversation with you? I'm curious. So one of the things you that as a coach, I'm sure you know this, it's come from a place of curiosity, right? So there are a couple of, of ways to have conversations that soften a conversation. So in, in the scenario that you just gave me, I'm guessing that there is a hard no, right? I'm triggered. We don't talk about this. Right.
2: I'm triggered. I'm leaving the room or right. we're not talking about this anymore. right?
3: So here's the thing not, you don't want to, if it's a, if it's a relationship that, that you value and it's, it's personal in some way other than liking to talk about it, right. You know, is if there's something for you to learn about this other person, the other person needs to understand why you want to have that conversation too? Because there's probably a having someone slam the metaphorical door in your face is unpleasant and it's hurtful for the relationship, right? So, so basically, um, sometimes it's going to be a hard no forever, right? And that's None. just a, that's just a piece of information that you're going to get from that person, right? That not that not that there are certain things off limit. But that that person is so closed that they're not even going to entertain the idea of having a conversation about why, right? But nice. that's their thing. That's not your thing. Well, it
1: kind of goes both ways. Um, there are topics that are just not allowed to be discussed. But when they're brought up, then they get so triggering. It's, there's such a, I think, lack of empathy and understanding is, is a big piece of it.
3: Okay, so we're talking theoretically right now. I'm not. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. To to, yeah no, we're not. We're not looking we're for not a session. We're not having a therapy session. Yeah, no, no, no,
1: I know. No, but no. I, I do have frame of reference.
3: I didn't think that we. Yeah. Are.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I
3: was just for. It's it's just about this. If it's important to have the conversation for the relationship, then there needs to be a conversation about how to have the conversation and why it is so off limits, and then you have to be okay with it if it is, because that's respectful, right? It's not like you can always have a conversation about everything. You know, I have been triggered. I find that, you know, if you're triggered by something, sometimes you don't even know right what you just told me was someone who the word trigger gets thrown around a lot also and it's a, it's like it's a there's a lot of overused words right now as far as i'm concerned and it's not and it's a way to back out and so if somebody's like if it's a conversation that your partner wants to have and you don't want to have it you know adding a right now at the end of that is a really easy way to be respectful i i'm not i'm i can't i'm not in a place to have that conversation right now
1: mm. Right. By the way, you're saying that you don't have to have those conversations about everything. is like a huge relief. Yeah. Um, my definition of triggered is not, ooh, that's unpleasant. My definition of triggered is like when a human being's emotions become so flooded that they lose their normal intelligence, their normal yeah. ability to respond with like their higher functioning best self. Yeah, they're in a completely reactive emotional yeah.
3: place, absolutely. But not everyone not everyone feels that way. But but I but I I think you need to be respectful of that too. Like if someone has the wherewithal to say listen, this is this is going to be bad. Then they're doing you a huge favor as opposed to coming in and attacking you on something, right? Like Oh no, how-
2: I, and by the way, I I'm in complete agreement with you. From the standpoint of there's there's only so much you can do. In other words, if if I want to have a dialogue, whether it be uh, somebody who's close to me or somebody, uh, you know, who's not at all, and it seems appropriate to to enter into the conversation uh, at some point, I just have to accept, you know, the, the conversation is a two way street. Right, my willingness doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that person A feels comfortable with me or confident with me or feels confident in themselves to have the conversation or whatever, or they, they feel, oh well, this is going to go down down the drain really quickly. All of those things are viable, uh, but it you know it, it's just one of those things. Well, how do you how do you manage that? For the most part, personally on my own level, I just tend to accept it. Like okay, there we go, and you know move on to the move on to the next conversation or to the next, uh, you know, exploration of life.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you kind of have to read the room and you have to pick your battles, right? So, so like how important is it? Like my, my definition of confrontation is to deal directly with someone or something you've been avoiding out of fear.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: So if you think about why, so for example, if you have a, you know, it's like, if you haven't had a conversation and the reason being is if, if you keep not having a conversation for like, you have the idea, I need to talk to someone about this thing. I can't do it. I'm not ready. I'm scared. Whatever the thing is that you say to yourself and you do that for a year, as opposed to the five minutes of discomfort you're going to have. One of them's gonna have way more wear and tear on you than the other and resentment will grow from not doing it as well. So the way I look at it, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, one of the lines is resolution starts with confrontation because if you don't have a dialogue, nothing can change except you might grow re- resentful and the other person may not know about it. It's like being angry with someone and then not knowing about it, who suffers? you do, right? So it's not about always being able to talk about everything. It's it's about confronting something or dealing with something that's eating you up, or that's making you, keeping you in a place where you're, where you just don't feel good at the end of
1: the day. In my experience, because, you know, human beings are incredibly resourceful, high functioners. And so we can like harbor that thing, like carry that unspoken conversation and resentment for years. And we have no clue what that costs us to our energy and our self-esteem until we take it on. And just having that conversation can release so much energy. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I hear a lot. I don't know what to say.
3: I don't know what to Mm. say. And I'm like, say that. I don't know what to say because, because we're, our thinking brain is a solution oriented thing, right? It's rational. I don't know what to say is kind of, if you think about it, I don't know what to do is kind of coming from a child's mind. And we tend to complicate things as people just do, but they're actually really simple. So if you said to me, I'm really having a problem. I don't know how to have this conversation. I don't know what to say. And I say, the, say exactly that. And what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position, which isn't comfortable, but if you're not met with someone going, I'll be there with you. Right. Like, obviously you're not doing this with a total stranger, but, but, and if someone does go fuck I don't know. Fuck that. It's,
2: out. it's it's too late. The, okay. tra- <laughs> the train has left the station. Please, please go on.
3: Who out of I don't, I don't
2: honestly. I don't think. I don't think anybody cares. Does anybody care um, on our I, station?
1: I, I I think it might matter in iTunes or something. Ah, we'll all right. just well, whatever. It's too it to late.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> we'll <laughs> let them know.
1: If someone doesn't
3: accept it. If someone is like, I don't really care, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. Well, you tried. And then you were given information about that person, right? That is called next step. What do I do now? Because just because you confront something, just because you ask for something, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. But if someone says no, if you ask for help, for example, and someone says no, however they say it, then you're, you you've got more information. Okay. What does that mean now in terms of this relationship? How am I going to adjust the way that I see the dynamic here is the how, you know, because very often we have expectations based on nothing, right? Based on no proof that they're going to be met. And then you go, I have to adjust my expectation at that point. So it's a, So basically then you create boundaries at that point. Boundaries is a big part of being confrontational because for example, I consider asking for a raise as being having being confrontational. You're having a difficult conversation. You're doing something that's making you uncomfortable. And so if you go into someone and you ask for more money or you raise your fees, let's say, and you lose clients or you don't get the raise,
1: you now have more information, right? So confrontation isn't really like I am confronting you. It's really, I'm confronting my own fears. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The object of it is another person, but the, you know, the the subject is you, right? Mm. So there's, it's a really, I mean, it's interesting because obviously coaching is coaching, right? Like you could pick any niche in the world, but the content is always the person and their limiting beliefs and their blocks, right? Yeah. So I'm coming from a place of self-expression. It's really self-expression we're talking about. We're talking about talking. And and so if, if, if a client is upset, I don't know how to say this to my husband. I don't know how to say this to my wife. I don't know how to say this to your kids. Kids understand. I don't know how to have this conversation. They get that, right? Because everything's new to them. As adults,
1: we think we should know how to do everything, but we don't. So what I love about what you're sharing, because, you know, in coaching, when something feels too big, you break it down into baby steps. And I don't even know how to have this conversation. Will you help me? Is like a really manageable baby step that anybody can do. You talk about your, like your superpower is teaching people how to have confrontational conversations so that they can get what they want, not what they think they can get. Can you give us some tips for that? Well, there's a lot in there. So if we take the phrase, get what
3: you want, not what you think you can get. So what you think you can get is always much smaller so I don't know. You deal with money. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. deal with ask with people who need to ask for money. But when I ask my clients sometimes when they want more money and I say to them, how much more do you want? It's almost always like $10,000. Like, I'm like, what is that number? It's just like, it's it, it, it in the same way as people will say that they're scared. They're good. to You know, speaking to crowds of three or four. But more than that, I'm like, what happens at five? I'm really it, it's it's as interesting. It's it's down. It's always the same. So so basically, if you tell me that you're you want ten thousand dollars more, if I hear they want ten thousand dollars more, I go, is that what you really want? And they're like, well, you know, that's a safe number to them. And I'm like, okay, so if that's what you want you're going to have to go higher than that anyway cuz it's a negotiation but but the thing is is that there's there's a limiting belief somewhere based on lots of things that have happened in one's life for some people that they think small right so being non confrontational by the way is keeping yourself small mm-hmm. It's keeping you from being seen more. If I go into and ask for a raise of fifty thousand dollars, probably they're not here. Depending on what it, what field you're in, um, that's not a normal number. In fact, the number it never even comes up. They take what is given to them, period. So, as you know, get what you want requires for you to think bigger. You have to think like. I, I mean, I really want 50, but I'm never gonna get that. And I'm like, well, you're absolutely not gonna get that if you don't ask for it for sure. But, you know, why do you want that money? What, you know, meaning, do you think that your value, you know, is that your worth? You know, there's a lot of things involved in that. So, but in order to get anything, having, I worked in sales for a few years and, you know, there's a saying, you don't ask, you don't get right. Mm -hmm. So, and and I say that to people all the time when people ask me for something that, that is, you know, I'm not going to give them, but they say, I'm sorry, I had to ask. And I'm like, totally fine. You get to ask, I get to say no totally fine. It's, I respect that you asked, you are totally entitled to ask. So, so it's really about doing the work that, that, that a coach does, which is what do you want your life to look like? Truly not what, what, what mediocre thing do you think you can get? And part of what goes into that is opening your mouth and asking for things that you have decided for no reason at all that you can't have. I have to work on your limiting beliefs.
2: You know, I have my own coaching practice. It focuses on relationships. And I would probably say 85% of the problems that we deal with are exactly what you're describing. There is one side, one person in the relationship that really wants X. And it doesn't matter what X is. And they have to go to their spouse and articulate these things. And then at some point, it's like, well, I think the answer is you need to go say to your husband, I need this. And then at least you're opening the door to a conversation. Well, maybe he can give you this. Uh, Do you think he knows what this is? Well, no, no, because I haven't told him about it before. Well, maybe you should consider. And then it's then it may be well, but, you know, my mother. Okay, great. Let's talk about your mother. And maybe we'll talk about the mother for a session or two. But ultimately, it's going to circle back around to. Yes, mom died 11 years ago, Uh, but at some point you have to speak to your spouse about this thing that's weighing heavily on your heart. And then, of course, it's just the magic trick of how do you get that person to then feel confident with the fact. And sometimes it's, you know, uh, sometimes it's people have been married for 25 years and they're having a difficult time articulating like this person who they would acknowledge is their best friend and the closest person in their life, and there's just this thing. And of course, yes, frequently it comes back to something that happened in third grade. And yes, we look at that, but it still doesn't change until you start kind of uh, just empowering the person to say, it's it's gonna be okay if you ask for this thing and or right. start this conversation.
3: Right, and you know, it is trauma-based why people don't do these things. Like at a certain, like- it has to do, and trauma can be, you didn't get to go to the playground one day when you were three. Like it doesn't have to be a huge, big deal, but somewhere we learned we can't have what we want somewhere or in specific instances, we can't have what we want because I'll get yelled at, right? So your nervous system is like trying to keep us safe, basically by by not engaging in that way. And so we have... A, a, the belief system is, if I do this, I will get hurt in some form or another. So we need proof that that's not true anymore because we're no longer three we, and we can deal with it today. And so it's reconditioning our thoughts because our thoughts are what create the feelings anyway. And and so it's this is not simple stuff at all. It is very real, the fear. It is really, really, really without a doubt it is there's nothing small about this topic at all but uh, if we don't change it you know it's like i keep hearing this phrase we can change we can't change the people around us but we can change the people around us and i'm like i've never heard that and then all of a sudden i'm hearing it it must be one of the new kind of you know, adages that, that are whatever that is. I don't know, but it's like, I can't change you, but I can get rid of you basically, you know? And, and, uh, and so it's really about when things aren't working across the board, as you know, with everything, when the same problem arises with everyone around you, you're the common thread. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's take a look at that. And that's, you know, that's the beginning of, of, of all of this work.
1: Well, I find that we find people and even train people to treat us yes. in a mirror of how we feel about ourselves. Absolutely. And the fastest way to change other people is to change our relationship with ourselves. There was a couple decades ago, I dove really, really deep into. Um, relationship coaching. And there's this moment of edge and tension in any relationship. When one party changes, they're dragging the whole relationship and the other party along. And that can be a wonderful thing for the relationship because something is, it can break it or it can grow it. But my growth is going to impact devin somehow and it's going to call for a response from him and he right. wasn't and he may not have been a willing party to it right uh so there needs to i think be some compassion too but if i change myself he's going to feel it somehow right. it can also be very very yummy cuz i did all the labor and i and i hear from clients and my husband is suddenly in love with me and doesn't know why. And and because that something is shifted. Often we stop looking to somebody else for what they aren't actually supposed to be providing for us. Like our sense of our own self worth really has to come from us. Although I think Devin does a does a very noble effort of making sure that I feel loved and attended to and and kind of
2: yeah a topic for another show (laughs)
1: patching up on my insecure (laughs)
2: spots
3: well feeling seen is uh I think really crucial and you know if I don't tell you how I'm feeling you only see the symptom of me holding that back Mm -hmm. right? So you see anger potentially or resentment or, right? So if I don't tell you, listen, right now I'm feeling X and I'm really kind of scared and it might come out as, as anger, because anger is a way easier emotion to go to than, than all the rest. And then, then I'm telling you, I understand what you might be experiencing right now. And this is why now, first of all, being able to do that is takes some work but think about you know someone having a a fit of a sort and and if i know that your go to when you're really stressed stressed is that it, you're going to snap right and then you've given me that information and i go you must be feeling really stressed right now right so i'm telling you that i see you and and then you see you because you probably don't know that you like we're, we when we're triggered getting back to trigger we don't know we're in a triggered state sometimes and so i see being seen as a as a way of basically waking someone up also and but 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 in order for me to be able to do that you will have had to tell me i mean not necessarily cuz i do actually understand people even if they don't i can you know get information without them telling me but for the most part I think that 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 feeling seen and heard are two of the most important parts of a relationship any relationship and and I can't you can't know that I can see you and hear you unless I validate you in some sort of way which is what I'm hearing you might do for each other also
1: so we have just a few minutes left you're bringing up I think something really valuable so do you have like a checklist of how to tell if say your partner is triggered, what are, what are some of the, not for the individual, but like, what are some of like they blow up or they shut down? What are some typical signals for the clueless romantic partner to go? Oh, I think my partner may be triggered and it may not have anything to do with me. How can I be of service?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that the two big ones are retreating, which is very often what men do. Um, and being more aggressive, you know, snapping at, at people. Like, if you think about it, happy people don't walk around hiding or yelling. They just don't. And And so I think it's really important, though, Like for sometimes, you know, it's kind of like a stereotype of men will go, I don't know what happened. She just kind of like came at me and I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure it's not the first time. And, um, and what happened the last time? Like it needs to actually be addressed. And so, you know, it's real, those are the top two, which is retreat. And, and, and I think that compassion is a huge element of this and, and, and an understanding that you, everyone has their own version of that right? So I'm an introvert. I'm an outgoing person, but I'm an introvert. I recharge obviously by myself, but, but I also had a really hostile upbringing. And so I hide too, because Mm -hmm. I feel threatened. And so if you know that, and you're emotionally uh, intelligent and you understand, oh, she's feeling threatened right now, she's retreating. Then you get to either go, do you need space or you know, I see that you're doing that thing, or is there something else that I can do? Like one of the best things that I think people can do for each other is to say, do you need help? And how can I need, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. Because very often people's go-to is to want to help. It's a very nice thing, but sometimes people need time to, to kind of process. So don't inflict your help on them too quickly because, and also ask them. And very often they can't answer that question because no one's ask them before, you know, what can I do for you right now is a really great question to ask for people. But anyway, th- just sorry, I digress. But but um, those are the two uh, I think the two the two biggest things, aggressive
1: or retreat. One last question, and we're really like cutting it close time wise. Um, are there times when we really shouldn't be pushing for a confrontation, like let's say my partner is triggered and shut down and just wants space, maybe that's the time to okay, let's not have let's not push for a confrontation a thousand percent. Yeah,
3: okay. it's it's it, yes. I mean, you have to read the person a hundred percent and not make it your agenda, right? Yeah. you know, because you have to assess and go, is this. My need or is it their need, and which one is more important in this
1: moment? Devin, did you have anything to
2: add? No, I think this is you know this is I think this is core stuff for people for happiness and relationships. I mean, I think it's important even if you don't get what it is that you want, at least you have clarity on the thing.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. you know what I
2: mean. Like I can handle no. I, what I what I personally, I mean, this is just maybe too much information. The stuff that I don't like is not having the clarity. Because I can do something with like, oh, not now, okay, or no, period, right, end of sentence. Um, those are things like, okay, then we'll come up with a plan B, or I'll come up with a plan B, if that's what needs to take place. Um, but it's that sort of, that place of, well, maybe vague, kind of confusing, so when I want to be direct, I mean, it's just like everything else. Everything's process, which I love. So this is this is a good one. This is a good one.
3: Yeah. And I kind of go... This is what you, the metaphor is you're going in for an uncomfortable conversation, hold on and keep your point, make it go in with the intention of what it is that you want to talk about so that you don't get caught up in the other person's drama. Like you have to see a focal point and go, I'm going in to find out what you just said. Clarity is everything. So if you realize, if you remember, I'm going to have this conversation because I'm confused, which can be a huge trigger for a lot of people. It is for me, confusion. But but the fact is, is that I want to find out what it is I don't know. And I may have to hold on while the other person is a little bit more emotional, but I'm going to hold it steady because that's my intention for this conversation.
2: Right. And a lot of times the answers that we get, even when there are no, like none of it's really personal. Do you nothing, know what I mean? Somebody, nobody's saying no to you because it's you. I mean, maybe sometimes, but more often than not, it's about a situation or a circumstance.
3: Nothing in the world is personal. Yeah. If I say I like you, it's about me. And if I say I don't like you, it's about me. I am the subject of both of those sentences. So I think that that is a really important statement, what you just made. It's nothing, it's not personal. It's about someone else's experience of a situation. It's unique to them. It's, it's, it's an opinion. It's not personal, you know, and I understand it sounds a little flippant, but it's life is,
1: it's life changing to embrace that in my opinion.
2: Yeah, no, me too. Yeah, me too.
1: it makes life way easier. So thank you so much, Danielle Gibson of the Conversationalist.com. Confrontationalist. Con- I'm sorry, you're correct. Confront so I get it. Confrontationalist.com. We will get the correct one in the show notes. Yes. Uh this has been another issue of crazy sexy midlife love. We are here every Wednesday broadcasting live from BBS radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Please go to crazy, sexy, midlife, love.com. Download my husband's book. Women are smarter than men
2: because they are
1: and other secrets. Marriage minded women need to know and join our crazy, sexy, midlife love family Send us questions that we can answer in our shows, topics that you would like covered, guests that you would like us to bring on, and we will bring it to you as best we can. And we will see you every week at Wednesday. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Crazy Sexy Midlife Love. Please sign up to join our free love family at crazysexymidlifelove.com to get alerts to live shows, call in and ask questions, or just listen in. And, ladies, don't forget to download Devin's free ebook Women Are Smarter Than Men and Other Secrets Marriage Minded Women Need to Know. Also available at Crazy sexy,